Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 327. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M, joined by... Tucker Marcus, joined by... Alex Lopez, assistant social media manager, whatever. Look at him. <laughs> Alex is like, look, I have a title. You know what? I think we need to hit the biggest news of the week. Yeah, on to the next point. Yeah. Right up top, we have the new trailer for Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp dropped this week, oh, right yeah. after the uh, world premiere purple carpet of Black Panther. But, man, Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp, I am so excited for it. Uh, Such a to, great first trailer. I know. We got to see a little bit of Ghost mm-hmm. in there. Like, what, like two little shots? But just enough. Yeah. Just enough. Yeah. You get a little uh, Lawrence Fishburne action. Just one shot. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> that's all you need. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. The part where Hank shrinks down the building. Oh, yeah. Like, he's like a suitcase. <laughs> I was like. That's awesome. Peyton. Peyton Reed. Yep. Yep. You, you son of a gun. The the giant Pez dispenser that Wasp throws out in yeah. the back of the van. A little Hello Kitty action. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, can't wait. Yeah. Very excited. Glad we got to see that. Uh, and then there was, yeah, the purple carpet premiere of Marvel Studios Black Panther. Uh, a lot of our folks were there. It looks so awesome. Yeah. It amazing. looked like they brought like a piece of Wakanda to LA, yeah. basically. It was fantastic. Yeah, it looked amazing. We had our live stream of it with James Arthur from Thwip, Tamara Krinsky, who we've done a ton of stuff with. She is usually our main host for the live stream carpet premieres, which was great. There were some really great interviews in that. So if you listeners haven't seen that, you can go to Marvel's YouTube or marvel.com slash Black Panther Live. I yeah, believe. Black Panther Live. And mm-hmm. talk about how star-studded the carpet was. Aside from the cast and crew yeah. itself, but, like, Donald Glover showed up. It's it's crazy. Yeah. There's so many people there. <laughs> yeah. I always like seeing the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. folks in there. Right, yeah. You know, like, the connectivity of everything. Some really great interviews with them. So it was really neat. And then the day after that, we actually got to interview Joe Robert Cole. Or I say we, I mean me. I interviewed <laughs> Joe <Royal> Robert Cole. <laughs> uh, Joe Robert Cole is the writer okay. For Black Panther, and that'll be in a future episode of This Week in Marvel. He was really great to talk to. Interview for this episode is Mr. Jordan D. White, who is editor on, man, so many things. He's been editor on Deadpool, the Star Wars titles with Heather Antos, and in particular, we're going to talk to him about Infinity Countdown and maybe playing the ukulele. Nice. I was waiting for that. (laughs) Ukulele action. He keeps one in his office, you know, just in case. I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So last week we had the Marvel Publishing Retreat, which was basically where we fly in a number of Marvel Comics writers and bring in folks from other divisions. So like Steve Wacker from television and Bill Roseman from games and then folks like myself or other people here in New York sit in and the editorial folks, the comics people plan out the next 18-ish months of comics. They figure out where they're going, what they're doing, who's doing what books, what characters they want to work on, where stories are going to go, how they can connect together, and really sort of mind meld into building the Marvel Universe. So it's so cool. Uh, We have a video that we put together, a little tease of the retreat uh, where I introduced it. And in the video, a number of fans on Twitter called out. I was like, wait, that's Christopher Priest in the room. Mm-hmm. Christopher Priest was in the room. It was this great moment where ta Coates was talking about his books. He's talking about Black Panther stuff. And Christopher Priest was like, pretty good. As someone who, who wrote Black Panther for a bunch of years, 
I like where you're going. Gave oh, him a pretty good. I don't. Oh. That, that's paraphrasing. Yeah. Like he complimented him, but it was like normal, like peer to peer. This sounds really yeah. good. And you're sitting in the chorus, like yeah. <laughs> essentially. I was, I was like, this is the coolest moment. It's like Christopher Priest Run is one of those seminal things, especially now that Black Panther's in a lot of the spotlight because of the film. Mm-hmm. Like, I highly suggest if you don't have Marvel Unlimited, sign up, go read all that run, or go pick up the trades at your local comic shop because it's fantastic. Just being in the same building as it was happening was insane. Can you give us like five words to describe what those three days were like inside amongst all that like creative energy? Sure. Um, pizza, sandwiches, <laughs> empanadas. Oh, what? Empanadas. Uh, cake and bagels. Oh, mm. yeah. Mm. That's what it was like in the room because that's some of the food we ate. The comic books are fueled by carbs. So yeah. I knew the bagels and pizza because there were some leftovers <laughs> some of these. <laughs> and I scoured myself over to the kitchen. And, you know, Yo, the empanadas. The, son, I didn't know about these empanadas, all right? <laughs> they were, as the kids say, lit. Ooh. <laughs> Delicious <laughs> empanadas. I enjoyed the hell out of them. The everlasting moment for me of the week, as just a final note on this. Listeners of the show will know of my adoration for a very specific comic writer. Ugh. And guess who got to meet Donny Cates? <laughs> I did. Ryan Pinagos. <laughs> Not me. No. I I was walking in the hallway. Donny was walking the other direction. Uh, Donnie, Hi, Donny. Yeah. Hi, Hi. My hands were sweating. So when I saw him in the hallway, I, said, I like mentioned who I was, and he talked about the call, and it was the most perfect Donny Cates response ever because when he called, it went to my voicemail, it wasn't at my desk, and he just said, hey, next time, answer your phone. <laughs> uh, and then we just parted ways, and it was ideal. Yeah. I know y'all don't watch wrestling, but shout out to my boy Johnny Gargano, who listens to the show, who is a big Marvel fan, uh, had an amazing incredible match at NXT TakeOver this past weekend. He had a really cool Star-Lord-inspired vest that he oh, came awesome. out in. Cool. But Johnny put on a hell of a match, so I wanted to make sure that gets out there. If you if you haven't watched wrestling, he's a guy that will show you, like, this is how it can be really entertaining and fun. Cool. Nice. Um, so I wanted to give a shout-out to uh, Jose Sagatsume, who tweeted to me, loving the pull list, Ryan. Just one quick note, though. Tomorrow's issue of Long Live the King is written by Aaron Covington. It's the final issue of his two-part story arc. So big no prize, and thank you goes to Jose, because I was actually looking at Black Panther Long Live the King number one, accidentally looked at that info, not number four. Number four is written by Aaron Covington with art by Mario Del Pinino and Chris O'Halloran. So that's my bad, Jose Maybe give you a little something-something for correcting me, and I always appreciate it. We can't all be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Jose. And it's time for our picks of the week. So if you listen to the poll list, you'll know some of our picks are Phoenix Resurrection, Spider-Gwen, Star Wars, DJ Most Wanted, and Tales of Suspense. I'm going to kick it off with Phoenix Resurrection number five. Obviously, this is written by Matt Rosenberg, art by Lanille francis Yu and Joe Bennett, inks by Jerry Allen Guilin, and... Bellardino Bravo and colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. This is the end of 
the return of Jean Grey story arc. Obviously, make sure you read this before you read Jean Grey number 11. The two are intertwined. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this is a crazy issue. It's a heartbreaker. It's about saying goodbye. It's about moving on. It's about finding your way in the world when what you've known, what you've had is taken away from you. Obviously, Jean has died and come back a number of times. That's sort of been part of her thing. And now she's back. And it's it's a big step forward for her. There's a lot of horror and sadness, death and rebirth. And I've never been, I was telling you guys, I've never been a huge Jean Grey fan. Yeah. Like, I, I like her, but she was always like the woman that Wolverine pined over because I was a big Wolverine fan. See, it's funny because I'm a big Cyclops fan. So yeah. then like Jean Grey was always just like, attached to him yeah so that's how i always thought of her too not that right. i wasn't a fan but it was always like oh like she just comes with them you know <laughs> yeah and, and when i when i first read the x-men i read it after she had died mm. so she wasn't around mm. so i then you know read more as she had come back later but i over the years there have been a lot of great gene stories and i really loved her in, in grant morrison's new x-men yeah she's fantastic in that but this really sold me on her this issue in this story arc really connected her to me in, in a bunch of different ways. It gets me excited for X-Men Red that's coming up because that's going to be a big book where she's leading a team of yeah, X-Men. Cool team too. Yeah. Who's on it? Namor. Oh, sexy Namor? <laughs> Better be sexy Namor. Uh, I'm pretty sure he has some you little know what, chest though? action. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing. It's always sexy Namor because he can't be anything but sexy. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> You'd laugh. But it's true. Uh, it's great. But yeah, this issue is a great wrap. I think if you read all five issues of Resurrection of Jean Grey, I think it tells a really tight, good, sad story mm. of this character having to come to terms with who she was, who she loved, who she needs to be. Really poignant and, and wonderful end and new beginning, as is appropriate for a character who's so closely tied to the Phoenix. So I'm excited for what's to come. Well, yeah, what I love so much about Phoenix Resurrection now that it's over and everything is you can you can just feel Matt Rosenberg's love for Jean Grey, for the X-Men, for every character in there. There's so much obviously imbued in every single page and panel, the history that's going on behind everything. And as one of the rising stars of Marvel Comics, it's so great to see that the future has such an appreciation for what's come before in, in so many different ways. Also, at the retreat, Matt Rosenberg was drinking eggnog. Oh! Still drinking eggnog. <laughs> Egg January nog. I've known him a long time now. His, hey, it's he, brain juice. <laughs> what is wrong with you? you you're, you're one of them. <laughs> His love of eggnog and chocolate milk. Like, you go to a convention, he's got a half gallon of chocolate milk with him okay. at any that's, given that's time. A little, that's a little much. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> Take it back. <laughs> this is a real thing. I do want to do something with him and drinking milkshakes, but that's neither I mean, here nor there. He seamlessly transitioned resurrection from a horror story, basically, into, like, a sentimental, emotional, like, ending. So... Maybe that's the milk working. I don't know. <laughs> uh, my pick this week is Star Wars DJ Most Wanted. That's Star Wars colon episode eight colon The Last Jedi colon DJ colon Most Wanted. Ugh. No colon at the end. Uh, it's written by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. Pencils by Kev Walker. Inks by Mark Deering. Colors by Java Tataglia. If you loved DJ in The Last Jedi as I did, then as with 
all, in my opinion, all great Star Wars media in whatever discipline it takes place. Not only is this a great story in its own right, not only does it fit perfectly within the narrative of the larger Star Wars universe, but it also enhances the other pieces of art. It, it, for me, this enhanced the character that I saw in the film. This story essentially takes place immediately before the events of The Last Jedi. We essentially see this gambler, this cheater, this morally gray man, this... Rapscallion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We see the con man get conned. We see the bad guy get bad guyed. And that really, like I was saying, enhances what the message of this character was in the film. Because, spoilers for The Last Jedi here, but... You know, that that film to me made several big statements, one of which came through in a large sense between Luke's narrative and between DJ's narrative, which is the more gray area between good and evil. And that is a kind of a bifurcation that we've been told, at least narratively, in so many Star Wars films in the past. It's the Empire versus the Rebellion. It's the First Order and the Resistance. And, you know, as these new films have come forth, there's this emphasis on that in-between. And what I loved so much about DJ in that film and what I love so much about DJ here is not just that his message is, hey, the good guys and bad guys often have a lot in common, but it's the embodiment of that within the character himself. Not only does he say that, but he lives that. And I think in the film, as, you know, DJ goes through a story arc and at the end he has, you know, makes some choices, has a bit of a turn, that would be enough in my opinion, in most stories, to get his point across, to get his character arc across, to make that statement. But the greatest moment for me is his last line in the film, how Finn kind of accuses him of being the evil that he seems... It's not just business. Exactly. It's personal. Yeah. Exactly. So Finn, Finn says, you're wrong. And as DJ, as played so brilliantly by Benicio Del Toro, as he turns around and leaves and we see him for the last time in the film, he says, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And I think that is just such a perfect moment where it just completely synthesizes the entire concept that even the statements he's making about good and evil that, you know, trace back to Obi-Wan's message to Luke in Return of the Jedi about so many of these things being reliant on your point of view, that even his character arc, even his own personal message, even his own actions kind of embody that in this in-between space, this liminal space is so exciting for me. And like I said, the work that Ben Acker and Ben Blacker do here, the narration, the way that not only this character speaks in this comic, but the way that he goes about his actions, the things that happen to him, they further deepen those concepts in a really, in a really meaningful way that I loved in this comic as a one-shot. And that when I see The Last Jedi next will kind of inform this character in a new way. Essentially, this comic ends with DJ ending up in the jail cell, where then it just leads perfectly into where we see him in the film, and and the transition there is totally seamless. I, I really love the work by Acker and Blacker here. Yeah. They're great. I also love Kev's art here oh, so yeah. much. Oh, he, to yeah. me, he's becoming one of those seminal Star Wars artists. You have, obviously, Salvador La Roca and Marco Caquetto and Kev with just such a cool size of his characters like there's some mm -hmm. aliens in here that have a great you know look to them the way he draws dj's coat yeah. even just right. looks so cool yeah it's very cool all right on to my pick we got uh tales of suspense 
101 by uh, good old Maddie Rosenberg, art by Travel Foreman, and colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. And uh, Bucky Barnes, that is it. That's all I got. <laughs> you know, Hawkeye's also in this book. No, yeah, yeah, but like this was the Bucky Barnes issue. No, uh, it's he a, does do most of the narration. Yeah, it's a freaking awesome issue of Bucky Barnes narrating the crap out of it, and it's so fun to get in Bucky Barnes' head and see the differences between him and Hawkeye, and like how he operates, why he does what he does, why he is how he is, and I also just love the shade he throws at Hawkeye in his head. <laughs> you know, I, part of this relationship reminds me of the Falcon-Bucky relationship in the MCU. Definitely, yeah. You know, like, they obviously are connected because of someone else. And then there's a friendship, a rivalry, a brotherhood that's connecting them. And right. this is obviously different relationships, different characters and experiences. But there's some of those mirrors. There's like one part where he starts warming up to Hawkeye and then he's like, maybe not. <laughs> he's like, I take it back. But I I've always loved the Winter Soldier. I took a break from comics back in like the early 2000s. And my mom actually bought me the hardcover of the Brubaker run. So ever since then, I got back in. And like, he's been one of my favorite characters ever since. And I just love how dry he is. <laughs> it's like a lot of the heroes are like, you know, they're quippy. He's more just like a stoic, silent dude. He's like, hey man, I got a mission. I'm gonna go carry it out. Um, there's like tons of secret agent stuff in here. He's seen some <laughs> stuff, y'all. Yeah. He has gone. Well, that's literally. There's a, there's a part in here where Hawkeye's like, "Why are you the way you are?" He's like, "I don't know. Maybe it's like being a child trained killer." <laughs> Love that line. Yeah, it's it's like, so he's like getting you know your arm cut off, being brainwashed. <laughs> it's like a t made to kill your friends, and it's like. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> 100%. Before you get too deep, can I give a little background? So early on in the book, they have a clandestine meeting, which I love the, the Hawkeye's just like, I love the spy stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. so cool. <laughs> Let's do more of the spy and stuff. And Bucky's like, narration is that he's like, it is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, uh, they meet up with an agent, former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, who's now, because S.H.I.E.L.D. is really no more, Skids. Skids was deep cut mutant character. She was a part of the Exterminators which was a short-lived little group uh, that spun out of the New Mutants. And then she joined the New Mutants. She was part of the X Corporation, which was in the early 2000s, sort of, it was a mutant corporation. It was the X Corporation. And then she joined S.H.I.E.L.D. Her mutant power is essentially creating a force field for herself or her teammates. She used to run with Rusty. And so Rusty and Skids, man, that was like, when I was a kid, it was like, What yeah, a combo. Rusty and Skids. <laughs> uh, Rusty's dead, though. Glad that Matt got to play with her, but, you know, Things happen. In yeah, this issue. things happen in this issue. Uh, I really just love getting in the heads of both of them and seeing why they're doing what they're doing and their opposite sides of like why Hawkeye thinks Nat's alive, why Winter Soldier doesn't, and like it, I love how he's watching the like pretend Black Widow essentially or when the, who they think Black Widow might be, and he's just like her moves are off. I can see it. And it's just like. Jeez, man, <laughs> you are a trained killer, and it's great. You get to the ending, and you find out the identity of who it is. It's a cool cut for Black Widow fans. Yeah. It's sort of like a, a lethal weapony type group. You know, you got these two dudes. They're so different, but then they become so uh, close, and there's a lot of fun that you have with those characters and in the situations that you put them in. And Matt does this great job of turning this into – just a big fun movie that still has its own like stakes and its own drama and its own action and great moments. Like there's a part where 
they're like throwing sandwiches at, at <laughs> yeah. evil army dudes. Yeah, I just love that. I don't, I don't he's know like, why. Oh, guy takes a bite. He's just like, bet I could hit that guy in a tank down there. <laughs> yeah. Then Winter Soldier throws one as well. Yeah. It's, it's just, it made me crack up. You got to talk about Travel Foreman though. In this. Oh my god. Yeah. He's got this mix of like. European art and manga and American style. There's like a chase scene in here on a bridge and the way he draws the crap out of that, I feel it, you know what I mean? I feel like the cars are coming by, they're beeping, I hear the crashes, it's crazy. (laughs) One hundo, love this book. The last pick of the week is another one for me. It is Spider-Gwen, number 28. It's the big origin of Matt Murdock in this universe, the evil Matt Murdock. I'm a big sucker for alternate realities right. and what-if type stories. And you can look at a few twists and turns that happen to a character. Exactly. And com- see where they end up. It's yeah. wild. Completely change who they are. It's like, okay, what if Matt, this slight change to what happened to him at this point sort of sets off a series of changes to his life and yeah. send him down a completely different path. Is it wrong that I kind of like this new Matt Murdock now? <laughs> no. He's, he's uh, credit to the creators here, uh, written by Jason Latour, art by Robbie Rodriguez, colors by Rico Renzi. Definitely credit to Jason, Robbie, and Rico for making a very compelling villain. I don't know if it's, to me, is not so much that he's likable, but right. he's you enjoy watching him. He's one of those villains you like to to watch. Like, you know, Anthony Hopkins is Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, so this, if for nothing else, you get this great origin of Matt Murdock and why he is the way he is and how he got to his place of power and the, the things he'll do and the way he's viewed by others. You know, and that's part of a great story is what the character does informs a lot of what you know about them, but it's also the way others react to a character can do so much about elevating that character. Yeah, I also like how he basically says in the book, he's like, nothing can stop me. And to be honest, reading through his origin story and finding out, I don't think he can be stopped. (laughs) So we have that, and that takes up so much of the issue, but there's still really big stuff in here for Gwen. So, you know, our Gwen has been going through some terrible stuff lately. This is part of the Gwenna mark, so she's got... A symbiote. Mm-hmm. And so she's dealing with the symbiote being this dangerous force that is in her head. It's on her body. It's driving her to do certain things. And there's a huge moment for her and her supporting cast in this. Amazing stuff. Jason writes a hell of a Uncle Ben oh, speech in here. Yeah, We get a really solid power and responsibility from an Uncle Ben who's lived longer, dealt with things, seen other stuff happen. Ben didn't die because of the burglar in his universe. He's lived on. He and May have this life, and he's trying to deal with the loss of Peter. He sees things in a different light, but he's still at the core that good guy, yeah. that good character. And he has a really powerful speech in here that freaking I love. Such it. an effective take on like a classic, you know, yeah. for the situation for the universe that they're in, and it's still gets across the same feeling and value that's supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> Plus we got some cool Punisher stuff that uh, is happening the, and coming up in the, uh, the book. Putting like the death metal long hair on him makes him look so much more un, like unhinged. It's mm-hmm. great. <laughs> totally. <laughs> All right, it's time for news. How about some game stuff? Yeah, coming up in Marvel Contest of Champions, we have 
Gladiator Hulk from Ragnarok, which is so awesome, who entered the arena yesterday. So go check that out in Marvel Avengers Academy. Straight from the Avengers No Surrender story that we've been reading every week, Voyager heads to the school. That's coming up after the weekend. She'll be there on Monday. And elsewhere in Avengers Academy, there's the 2.0 combat mechanics have been added, as well as uh, Marvel Insider co-promo. Players can earn Marvel Insider points by downloading Avengers Academy and acquiring the new character Voyager. Meanwhile, Marvel Insiders can spend points on an in-game exclusive version of Voyager, a trophy that generates stamina needed for the 2.0 combat, which is so cool. Elsewhere in Spider-Man Unlimited, Gwenum, Superior Octopus, Blood Spider Modern, and IAPEC were added to the game this Wednesday. They're in there now. Some Uh, deep cuts. Oh yeah. And as well, Luna Snow, the K-pop character, the original character created for Marvel Future Fight, is in the game now. Go check that out. I love to see original characters created for the games with so much backstory. We, We did a couple of interviews with the creators of the character, with Bill Roseman, with the games team about the inspiration behind that character, about where she's from, about what they were aiming to do with her. And it just seems so awesome, so unique. So go check her out now. Yeah. You mentioned Marvel Insider. It's free. It's cool. You get rewards for doing the things you do. So go to marvel.com slash insider to sign up. Definitely. On to some TV news. Tonight, we have a, I think it's actually the mid-season finale of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But Alex, what if someone listens to this on Saturday? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) The agents have one final chance to return to the present timeline. But as you expect, their actions may have some consequences. And on Marvel.com, if you head there now, we actually reveal the role that Dove Cameron will be playing on the show. She will be playing a young woman named Ruby of cunning intelligence and has a mysterious obsession with Daisy Johnson. Oh, and she's the daughter of General Hale. If you watch the show, he was in some previous episodes, so you might. When does she show up? And she shows up on March 2nd. Mm. Should be interesting. Uh, There was some uh, fun Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff that happened online today. None other than Lin-Manuel Miranda gave a shout-out to the show. And I saw what? That. Oh, before we forget, there's a bit of comics news. Uh, it was announced the Marvel Rising comic. We're going to have Devin Grayson writing some of it, which I'm very excited about. Devin Grayson, great writer. Good to see her doing more for Marvel. Also, Jubilee Wilson and some other creators will be on board for more Marvel Rising coming up. It was also announced this week the track listing for the Black Panther, the album. Kendrick Lamar announced it on the Twitter it's got, I'll be honest, a lot of artists I don't know. I'm a like an older <laughs> hip-hop head. So like I was saying to you guys before we started recording, is EPMD on it? Because, you know, I, I know them. <laughs> I, love, I love like 90s hip-hop. That's what I'm familiar with. But there's a lot of cool stuff in here. Kendrick is on like five tracks and some really cool different pieces in here. Two Chains and a bunch of others. You can check that out from Kendrick Lamar on his Twitter from the consumer products front. There's some new toys that were shown off and announced in conjunction with the first teaser trailer for Marvel Studios Ant-Man and the Wasp. So some really cool things coming. There's action figures and role play masks and stuff coming this spring from Hasbro. And also, I don't know if we put it up on the site yet, but I also saw some stuff from Hasbro. They got a ton of Deadpool stuff coming this fall. They are making role play katanas. Like what? I was like, oh. What, where was that when I was a kid? So I saw like the new figures, but I didn't see the katanas. That yeah. is just amazing. Yeah, there's a line <laughs> of Marvel Legends. There's a bigger Deadpool figure. There's the katanas, some really cool roleplay stuff. I'm excited. New York Toy Fair is coming up in 
like, like a couple weeks. Yeah, two yeah. weeks. I'm gonna go because I just like <laughs> looking, walking around and looking at toys. So I'll be posting some stuff on my social media. Yeah. But it's gonna be a lot of fun. I think it's it's neat. Now we're gonna go to an interview I did with Mr. Jordan D. White, editor on the Star Wars books, the Deadpool books, so many comics. He's been here a long time, but we're gonna really focus in a little bit on Infinity Countdown. If you listened to the interview with Jerry Duggan a couple weeks ago, we dipped into that, but can't have too much Infinity Countdown. So let's go to now to uh, Jordan D. White. Jordan, hello, hi. Hi, good to be here. Yeah, welcome. You're in our, our new shoot space, and uh, we're marveling over all the cool things in here. Wah, wah. Yes, we are. It's amazing. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. Some of our listeners, you can go to the Marvel YouTube. You can see we just posted an interview I did with Evan Narciss for uh, Rise of the Black Panther. You can see some of this fun stuff, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Nope. Nope. We are here to talk about Infinity Countdown. Yes. Yeah. So- I was trying to think about this because I I was at the most recent creative mm-hmm, retreat, mm-hmm. which was just two weeks ago or whatever yeah, very it was. Recent. But I wasn't at the last in 2017. And so I don't remember the genesis of Infinity Countdown from your side, from the comics publishing side and the creative side. I actually had to leave the that summit because that's when my baby was born. I was uh, home. I had to leave. Gosh, you're the worst, the Jordan. Come but I was on. there for I was there to talk about Infinity Countdown. Yeah. And um Ever since uh, Secret Wars, right before Secret Wars, when the Infinity Stones all were destroyed, and ever since then, we've been saying we're going to bring them back in a big way. And when Jerry got on Guardians, that was what he wanted to do, is bring back all the Infinity Stones in a new and interesting way. They've come back a little different. We're exploring what has changed about them, and we're exploring all the crazy places that they ended up. And in the Guardians of the Galaxy book, we've seen where the Power Stone is, but we haven't revealed where all the other five stones are. And uh, once Infinity Countdown Prime comes out, you'll see where all six stones are and who who wants them and, <laughs> and when and why and where. Yeah. So with this story, Jerry Duggan, the writer, says, I want to take the stones. I want to bring them to life. How does that work with you as the editor on the project? Because that's not something we really get to dig into is how, what is that like? What's the process? Uh, yeah, I mean, when we both knew we were doing that book together, we would just start brainstorming stuff. And he would, you know, he'd call me on the phone and go, oh, man, I got some great ideas. Like, check this out. And he'll start telling me a story. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And what about if this happens? Oh, that's even better. And we'll just bat it back and forth until we both really love it. He, he came to this idea about the Soul Stone where Gamora realizes that when they went into the Soul Stone back in the 70s or the earlier Marvel Universe, whatever you want to say it was for them. <laughs> well, we, we, we have a whole discussion <laughs> about Marvel time this episode. Oh, good. Well, there you go. I'm in keeping with it. Perfect. But back in the 70s when she and Adam Warlock and all them went into it and then came back out during the Infinity Gauntlet, this part of her that is still in the Soul Stone contacts her basically psychically and says, you know, you thought you got out, but you also didn't. So there's a piece of you missing and trapped in here forever. And now Gamora is obsessed with finding the soul stone and releasing herself and everyone from it. That was our first big infinity stone uh, reveal. And I think it's been really neat since then where it's all been going. Who's the character inside Soul World who's got like oh, the four the big arms, green guy? Uh, and he's, he's got like the... Big, he's basically a head with arms. Yeah, like a ridge head. Oh, I love geez, that guy. I don't ben know Morris would is. always know that character's name. And I would, <laughs> I would ask Ben. He would know. For, do we get to see him in Infinity Countdown? We get to see him pretty much any time there's a flashback to that era of, of the soul world. I love that. 100%. He yeah. always shows up. Yeah. Uh, that stuff with Gamora, that was the Fraser Irving stuff, right? Yeah, that was the issue Fraser did. Yeah. It Fraser's was so creepy and weird and awesome. Beautiful. Yeah. Who's on Infinity Countdown? Because there's a couple issues, right? There's 
the Warlock stuff, then there's Prime, right. and then there's the series. Yeah, Infinity Countdown, Adam Warlock is Mike Allred. It's all about Adam Warlock and his quest to try to find the Soul Stone as well. Infinity Countdown Prime is drawn by Mike Diodato, and that shows where, like I said, it shows the location of all six stones, as well as being, like, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then Infinity Countdown Proper is going to have two artists. The first issue is entirely Aaron Cooter, and then the next four issues is going to be Aaron Cooter and Mike Hawthorne, both of whom are amazing. Yeah. Hawthorne, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's real good. I mean, obviously, Aaron, I adore him. I think I was talking to Jerry a couple weeks ago, and he just started saying, instead of Mike Diodato or Mike Diodato Jr., it's just Diodato. And now, <laughs> in my head, he's like a new Mobius. It's just <laughs> Diodato. And I, you know what? He's earned it. Sure. Dio has been around and crushing it. We Absolutely. Man, we just put a, a Tigra limited. That, remember the Tigra oh, limited yeah, series? Yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's a long time ago, wasn't it? What was it? 2002 or three. Yeah. But we, he started in the 90s, right? Yes, he yeah, did. He, yeah. 100%. He did. It was on like an Electra thing, I think. Oh, wow. Or, I remember uh, that Thor. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Thor, definitely. Um, he did a whole bunch of stuff, but that Tigra book. I was looking through it because we just added it to Marvel Unlimited. And I was like, his brilliance, you could see it even then. And he's Who just wrote gotten that better. One? Christina Z. Okay. Okay. Yeah. She's got a great art team. What's the big sort of push that we can talk about for the main series? Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Now, Infinity Countdown, what we've said about it is it's a big story that's leading to an even bigger story. <laughs> we can't talk yet about what we're going to. But this is the place where there's... I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you, where we showed the Power Stone was is that a couple of Novas found it grown to s- an enormous size. It's like the size of a small building, maybe even bigger. I guess like a medium-sized building. <laughs> <laughs> a nice-sized barn. Yes. No, no, bigger than a barn. Bigger than a barn. Multiple stories. Multiple barns on top of each <laughs> yes. other like a barn family. Absolutely. And it's on like this asteroid. And uh, so they've been protecting it. Drax is protecting it. Now, and it just, the word got out where it is. And a bunch of forces are converging, and they're going to have a giant war over the Power Stone, which is going to be pretty epic. We're also going to deal with the fact that there's an army of Groots that have been running around the the galaxy, evil Groots, destroying lots of stuff. We're going to wrap that up. And then... Then the story is going to shift to actually being a whole bunch about the Soul Stone and the location of the Soul Stone and who has it and who should have it and... Uh, there's going to be so much cool stuff in there about about what happens with the Soul Stone. I I don't want to spoil it. No, but... you shouldn't. I would. We would probably have to cut out a whole lot of stuff if you started spoiling things. All right, here. Pause for a second. Okay. There you go, uh, dude. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. How? Ah, it's I, crazy. I'm, I'm glad we paused because that was ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Okay. And also in Guardians of the Galaxy, one of the things I loved was. You guys brought back Eve Bacon, the character from Jerry and Dustin Weaver's Secret Wars tie-in limited yeah. series uh, with this family of Nova Corps, which I love. It was pretty great. That was great. He always wanted to find a way to bring her back into it, especially once we knew we were able to bring back the Nova Corps and kind of change them up a little bit. But she's a classic Nova Centurion. She's got the full Nova Force and everything and is pregnant, which is bananas. The best. <laughs> I want more of her. Please don't kill her. I'm, oh, I'm putting this request Uh-oh. on record okay. for me to you. Please don't kill her. She's definitely in Countdown. You didn't say you're not killing her. Oh, I promise she's in Countdown. <laughs> Damn it, Jordan. <laughs> we'll see. I'm not saying either way. Yeah, no, that's fair. Check it out. It's really, it's going to be a lot of fun. We have said it's also going to be the end of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. I know. Isn't that sad? But are you killing them? You could tell us. Uh, I could tell you. 
I won't. <laughs> we probably won't kill all of them. Yeah. It seems unlikely. Adsit? Mr. Adsit? He's out <laughs> in space. He's part of the Nova Corps. Scott Adsit is a member of the Nova Corps. How, How does crazy he feel is that? about this? He loves it. Well, here's one thing that's funny about it, though. In case people don't know, it actually is Scott Adsit. We've even addressed in continuity what changed in his personal history that instead of going into improv comedy, he went, became a government agent because uh, he, he was in S.H.I.E.L.D. for a while. Anyway, <laughs> crazy. We always tell the artists, this is actually Scott Adsit. Like, we, you know, he's totally on board with it. He's, he's cool with it. But we never specifically talk to them about the fact that he is incredibly tall. And the artists have been drawing him shorter and shorter Amazing. as they go. Amazing. At this point, he's like, the most recent time he was drawn, I think he was a little bit taller than Rocket, which is terrible. <laughs> this guy is like 6'4 or something like that Yeah, in real he's life. definitely a tall dude. I remember <laughs> when we were doing Secret Invasion all those years ago, he came into my office and he was like, ooh, scroll masks. And he was just like <laughs> posing around in Kirby poses with scroll masks. Like, this is a tall drink of water up in here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that's terrific. Well, please don't kill him. Oh, jeez. I can't kill anybody. No. I want to. I want to kill everybody. I know. This is the power you wield. Maybe that's the countdown. We're counting down all the characters we're killing. You heard it here first, folks. Jordan D. White is killing everyone. Of course. Jordan, thank mm-hmm. you. Where are fans going to find you on social media? I am on Twitter at Crackshot with a zero instead of an O. You, you're one of those. I, I've had it for so long. It doesn't matter. I know. <laughs> Jordan D. White's already taken, so there you go. Who, who is this person? Some person who's never tweeted. How dare I know. Ugh, the nerve. Uh, We will have to have you back to talk about Deadpool, talk about some Star Wars stuff. Yeah. Uh, There's so many things. Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lots of cool stuff in all of those books, but we just don't have time. No, not right now, but another time, another place, another This Week in Marvel. Thanks, Jordan. My pleasure. Time now for questions and comments. You can use the hashtag This Week in Marvel on Twitter. And we'll pick them up that way. Or you can tweet to me, Agent M, or you can email us at twimpodcast at marvel.com. Oh, I forgot to mention that last week I did a little bit of wasted cheese. Had some good responses, y'all. There were some good <laughs> gifts and, and comments. So thank you for those of you who uh, tweeted wasted cheese at me. What, Alex? Just still laugh at the waste of cheese. Yeah. I got to think of something gross I'll do next week. <laughs> weird, off. It has to be food related. Uh, but for now, a uh, couple in here from Mr. Simon Williams. Uh, a couple of his Twims of the Week included America, number 11, and Luke Cage, number 169. He was reading Generation X, number 86, and says, Quentin Choir is still a tool, but he's slightly less of a tool. This issue. I agree. He's able to straddle the line between good jerk and annoying jerk. Mm -hmm. And that, that, you know, credit to uh, Christina Strain and the creative team on on working on that one. Uh, He does have a question about what will happen to Riri now that Dan Slott is moving from Spider-Man to Iron Man. I was in the retreat. I know things. Stay tuned, true believer, is all I can say (laughs) because uh, there's plans for everybody. Were you in the retreat or were you in the retreat? Why, why do you do this to us? <laughs> that doesn't, doesn't reach, man. What is your... <laughs> Oof. Robert at Captain Rogers 44 gets a little bit into Rogue and Gambit by Kelly Thompson. And this tweet really is just an illustration for me of the importance of commas because this could be incriminating for our good old Agent M right here. Robert says... <laughs> Rogue and Gambit, number one, is a great book. Rogue has always been my favorite X-Men, but Gambit, on the other hand, I've always found him to be a jerk like Agent M. I just find him creepy, but 
Kelly Thompson, you got me hooked. Now maybe there's hope for the kitchen yet. So without commas there, he says, I've always found him to be a real jerk like Agent M. Oh. Or <laughs> now it I could get be it. like he's a jerk like Agent M. Or you're saying you've well, you found him to, to be a jerk in the same manner that Agent M finds him to be a jerk. You have to. There's also <laughs> more context to this. He says, I've always found him to be a real jerk like Agent M. I just find him creepy. So that phrase there, the comma, is exactly what you're saying, but you have to make sure it, the sentence doesn't end with... Or like, or maybe Agent he's M. just saying, not only is Agent M a jerk, but also he's creepy. It's 100% possible. <laughs> uh, I will fully uh, agree that I could be a jerk, but I think what he's saying is, like Agent M, I find Gamma to be a jerk and creepy. Look, that is definitely the truth. And this is also a social media speak, so you know you gotta you gotta read between the lines. Oh, social Where's media the, pro coming here? Where's the ruffles and lolds and, and cat memes? Robert also has a little note about Marvel Strike Force next. And uh, yeah, so uh, Robert, Marvel Strike Force still on the way, still looking <laughs> amazing, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I would say just stay tuned for news for that. With nothing to update you with just yet, but it's a very exciting game. And when it launches, we're going to talk about it. Oh, yeah. And Robert finishes up by talking about the Ant-Man trailer. He says it was really cool. Wasp looks great. He feels bad for the guy getting hit by the Hello Kitty Pez dispenser, which is so funny. And he says, was that Ghost? Marvel movies are firing on all cylinders. I'm excited. Cool. We got John Boss, John BZN1. He's answering the question that we asked last week about your favorite ghost writer. He said, my favorite ghost writer is Johnny Blaze. My favorite ghost writer is Stephen King. Thank you. I'm gonna throw up. Uh, John, for being the only one who answered my question, expect something cool on the Twitter. Oh yeah, John, good for you. Free stuff. We got Ricky Ribeiro. He's asking, can you give us some more info on this new Black Panther title that Marvel's launching? Sound and Fury. Is this an ongoing series or limited? What is it covering that Coates book doesn't? So, Ricky, this, I believe, is a book written by Ralph Macchio, who longtime Marvel staffer, editor, writer. So around the films, we do cool books that are sort of inspired by the films or the worlds or the characters not necessarily tied to any specific universe just thematically hey if you want more cool good comics now that you're excited about the film here's one so i think that's what santa fury is cool and it comes out next week um, he says, I'm going to need you to bring an official Marvel Time expert on This Week in Marvel podcast because of Reed and Doom graduate in 1998. What does that mean for decades of comics history from 60s, 70s, and 80s? So I think we talked about this so a little it, bit. This is just a thing with comics of a sliding time scale. Sliding time is a thing in comics. It's sort of the hazard of setting things in contemporary times, but it's also necessary. So things always change you know think about iron man he first showed up in the vietnam war and that's where he and Rhodey first connected but if you look at i think the iron man when warren ellis was writing it it was more of tony in in afghanistan and that's sort of inspired also what was going on with the film and those types of things it's just a shifting and rearranging time is just a weird thing it doesn't erase or negate any great stories it just shifts the way we can tell them so people aren't immortal yeah, yeah. i would say i would say especially with two and one that book especially i mean it it doesn't disregard the 60s 70s and 80s in fact it highlights them so much like the weight of those decades is on is just there so much 
it adds to so much of the emotion, so much of the suspense of what's going on. <laughs> if we can accept that there's a five foot tall man who was born in the 1800s who has claws and metal bonded to a skeleton who can heal from every wound and somehow come back from the dead, if we can accept him, maybe we can accept that time has to shift a little bit. It's true. And last one, we got Raph AB. I'm smiling like an idiot watching the Ant-Man and Wasp trailer. Great use of powers. Now we need Cassie to get the powers too. Way, Raph. Way. <laughs> that's that's French for yeah. Because Raph is French. <laughs> Every way, way, mon frere. Oh, it's like I'm in that movie, Ratatouille. <laughs> Great movie. Great movie. <laughs> And that wraps up an episode of This Week in Marvel. Just a note, some of you have been asking about where the West Coast is. So Christine and Eric, they are caught up in tons of Secret Shield field work for the time being. So right now, there's a little bit of a spy's goodbye for them. Don't worry. They're not gone forever. We're figuring out all the cool stuff. But you want more of them? We hear you. It's good to know. Remember, tweet us. Hashtag This Week in Marvel with any questions or comments. You can email us at twimpodcast at marvel.com. I'm at Agent M on Twitter. I'm at Tucker Marcus, M-A-R-K-U-S, that is. And I am at Alex Lopez underscore, and the O is a zero. All right, so since one of you answered my ghostwriter question uh, from last (laughs) week, I got a new one, and it is, which X-Men squad is your favorite? Because X-Men Red is coming out next week, I believe, Yep. and it's going to be a really cool team. Is Gambit on it? Gambit is. Gambit, Unfortunately, yeah. that is probably. <laughs> but see, it's like you have Gambit and Sexy Namor. They, <laughs> Sexy Namor always overtakes Gambit in my mind. Mm. All right. That's been This Week in Marvel. This is Marvel, your universe.